I mean, finding a spider anywhere you don't expect it is pretty terrible. Yeah, I once had a I once had a spider in my coke. It was very unpleasant. I discovered it was buried under the ice only after I'd finished it. Oh no! It was a traumatizing thing for an eleven year old Adam. This time we watched Season 8, Episode 10, The Giant Spider Invasion. Studies show that every year, the average person eats eight episodes of It's Just a Show in their sleep. Oh no. But first, some follow-up. Yes, uh, the Kickstarter was a huge success, as could be expected. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, as we even mentioned last time, because our last episode did go out immediately after the Kickstarter ended, even though we recorded it right beforehand. So I had to add a little thing to it to say that. But yes, it was a huge success. They reached all their stretch goals. They raised more money than last time. (sighs) We're going to get a lot more MST3K. Yeah, and their stretch goals included a stretch Joel, by which I mean Joel is going to be in three episodes and will presumably be stretching out his jumpsuit. (laughs) That doesn't mean we're going to get like a stretch Armstrong-type plastic figurine of Joel to play with. No, no. But then again, like who would be the vac man to to Joel stretch Armstrong? It's like, I I don't know. I guess maybe since J. Elvis Weinstein is playing nicely, it's like we get a nice Dr. Earhart figure. Yeah, maybe. We'll find out. If they do it, which they won't. No. They have also announced three of the movies that they're going to be doing next year. Uh, yes, and I've seen one of the – well, I've seen two of these. <laughs> right. Yes, because you've seen also the most recently announced one. Uh, but let's talk about the other two first. First, there's Robot Wars. Uh, yes, that's one of the ones I've seen. Now, isn't that a TV show? Uh, no. You, well, actually, yes. You are thinking of the Craig Charles-hosted Robot Wars, in which he always delivered some kind of rhyming intro, and then homemade robots would bash each other. It was a success on British television for a while, and then ended up on Space, the Imagination Station here in Canada. Oh, yeah. I forget what it was on in the States when I caught glimpses of it. But that's not what this is. This isn't like another one of those TV shows turned into movies. No. In fact, I, seeing that show would always make me sad because it's just like, oh, why doesn't space just show Red Dwarf? That's what I would actually want to see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so what what is Robot Wars like? Robot Wars is a chintzy follow-up to Robot Jocks. Uh, Robot Jocks is a fun little stop-motion robot movie about giant robots that fight each other uh in a giant arena uh that was directed by the late great Stuart gordon both robot wars and robot jocks were produced by albert band uh who has given us such films as laser blast right. and the day time ended i knew that name sounded familiar yes so uh the band family always welcome that's that's going to that's promising i remember robot wars well, Ro- Ro- robot jocks is already pretty cheesy but it's a well-made movie uh, Robot Wars is uh, the uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation to Robot Jocks' Mortal Kombat. It is sillier, and it is not as well made. <laughs> okay. All right, that should be fun. The other one they're doing is called Demon Squad, and it just came out in 2019? Yeah, this this is the one I have not seen. Well, it oh, you've barely had time to. Yeah, I mean, two whole years. <laughs> Who would find the time? Especially for a movie that uh, seems to exist only to, at least judging by the trailer, to show off what the Adobe programs can do. Oh, no. It's currently streaming on Amazon Prime, I'm being told. 
Oh, all the more reason to get a membership. <laughs> yep. Uh, huh. That could be interesting. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, I, I, I do like my my MST3K uh, movies obscure, but I, I kind of like them to 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 dig in and you know find something from the past. But we'll see what this is like. I mean, it's pre-pandemic. That's about as far back as anyone can remember now. That's true. It's a whole different lifetime. And finally, Gamera versus Jigger. <laughs> yes, Gamera and fights a monster who does a lovely jig. <laughs> We've talked about this episode before because you went over the plot in loving detail in our episode on the KTMA, uh, Gamma vs. Zegra, episode 86, link in the show notes. It sounded wild. Yes, this is actually one of the goofier Gamera movies. It was kind of a shame that the show never touched it, and I guess they're they're finally <laughs> they're finally rectifying that. Now, what do we have to do to get them to mention Gamuary? Uh, I, I think, I think there was a possible pledge level for that and, and we missed it. Oh, well, no, 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 that I'm not going to buy my way into canon. I want the beauty of the idea of the Gamuary celebration to win over Joel's heart. Mm. Well, they could always just steal it and claim it's their idea and put it in the episodes. That's fine. <laughs> Release it in January. Yeah, I got no problem with that. I just want them to mention it. So much for our intellectual property. So much for it's just a show LLC. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, speaking of intellectual property being borrowed, the Mads <laughs> have been putting out more shows. Yay! Uh, they, they did one on, what was it called again? T-Bird? Oh my god. What was it T-Bird the Last Dinosaur? He's my friend and a whole lot more. I don't remember. T-Bird Gang. Yes. The uh, the film that Roger Corman took his name off of. <laughs> Do you think that was a wise move of Corman's? Uh, I'd say so. I'd say so. It was a pretty blah movie, although it was not as hard to watch in any sense of the word uh, as uh, Walk the Dark Streets. <laughs> no. Uh, that, this was a film that was originally released as a double feature with High School Big Shot. Ooh. And of course, it's got a starring role for Coleman Francis. Yeah, and it was it was odd seeing a young Coleman Francis. I watched the live stream of it when when it happened, and uh, yeah, it was just d- distracting to get lost in, in in Coleman's beautiful eyes and his full head of hair. Even younger than when he was in this island Earth. Yeah, <laughs> even even younger than you know his fittest form, Red Zone Cube. <laughs> And next, they're going to be doing a movie called The Lost Missile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the basement tape of missiles. <laughs> Have you seen this one before? No, no. This is this is brand new to me. So this is uh, this is more of a demon squad than a robot wars or a gamma versus Jiger or Jigger or Zeger. <laughs> well, that'll be happening in June. We can look forward to that. Links, of course, if you don't have them already, will be in the show notes. Go, Mads, go. Um. And in Saturn News, this happened a little while ago now, but uh, it's still worth mentioning. Uh, Neil Connery passed away recently. Yeah, um, that's uh, that's a bummer. As uh, Operation Double Double O Seven is one of my absolute favorite episodes, and it's a wild movie. If you're only going to be in one movie as a star, you want it to be something like Operation Double Double O Seven. Um, so we talked about that, of course, in an episode, I don't remember what number it is now. I want to say it's in the fifties. I want to say it's in the fifties. <laughs> uh, it is, it is number 59. Hey, good job. 
Uh, I, I knew it. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a shame that Neil Connery has passed. Uh, he, uh, I assume that he had a sense of humor about these things because he'd occasionally still show up in movies, often related to spy stuff, uh, as we discussed in that episode. And if nothing else, if nothing else, we'll always cherish the great, great theme tune that graced Operation Double Double O Seven. That is all about loving Neil Connery. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, we'll cherish that. But now we need to move on and talk about today's episode. Oh, boy. Spiders, 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 and nothing but spiders. Uh, Are they as interesting as Neil Connery? Let's find out. This time we watch Season 8, Episode 10, The Giant Spider Invasion. Look, this film is full of human drama, if you want to call it that. Infidelity, criticism of evangelicals, and cops. Oh, and sexism in the 70s, and and you know what? Let's forget it. This movie's not about that. Giant Spider Invasion shines when it focuses on its true passion, spider puppetry. You see, spiders have come raining down on sunny Wisconsin. The spiders start off as roughly the size of your average tarantula, but soon there is a glorious spider puppet that attacks the townsfolk. That's the queen. Eventually, the giant spider queen takes to downtown Wisconsin and marches through the streets. Ah, the many extras running and flailing about while a massive spider puppet resting on a car slowly glides through town. It is a glorious sight to behold. Alas, the spider puppet antics can only go on for so long, and a neutron device is dropped on the queen. After the drop, the beautiful puppet starts to resemble a Dairy Queen ice cream cake that was left in the back of the car on a sunny afternoon. The end. Meanwhile, in the satellite of love, Tom is, for some reason, a cheerleader. And he's trying to get Mike and Crow to give him an S. And an A. And a few other letters to show they have satellite of love, team spirit, rah rah! But... We're in the middle of season eight, so there's no way in hell Mike and Crow would be caught dead having fun or humoring their friend. They offer him a measly M, an R, a small X, and some L. Tom does the best he can with his mrixel, mrixel, mrixel. Meanwhile, Pearl, Bobo, and Brain Guy are still camping. They found some weird, huge zucchini-looking things that look suspiciously like the pods from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And now, Pearl and Brain Guy are acting kind of weird. They send some pods up to the satellite love. In segment two, Gypsy has been body snatched, and she tries to get everyone else to sleep by singing a lullaby. And so in segment three, Mike and the bots are trying to stay awake. Crow has had an exceptional amount of caffeine. They talk to Bobo for a bit. He hasn't been body snatched yet, but now Pearl and Brain Guy are packing the seed pods into the van to spread about the galaxy. And only Bobo can save the day. In segment four, Tom has been replicated, and Mike and Crow try to determine which is the real servo. Turns out that fake servo doesn't know that real Tom has a massive and well-cataloged underwear collection. Fake Tom is scandalized. After the movie, Crow and Tom have also been body-snatched. Bobo finally gains the confidence to destroy the mother pod, which I guess deactivates the rest of the pods and kills off the fake pearl and brain guy and returns the originals. Anyway, Bobo has indeed saved the day. But then Pearl realizes she didn't get to watch Mike watching the movie. Better send it to him again. The end. Or is it? Ah, so we survived a giant spider invasion. (laughs) Had you seen this movie before? No, no. uh, It's it's funny. I... 
Had I seen the poster for the film, which shows a giant spider trampling uh, skyscrapers and people running away from it, I would have no choice but to rent it. Uh, and I would have no choice but to be disappointed, because that's not the bulk of this movie. And in fact, there's not a skyscraper to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> no, not in sleepy, small-town Wisconsin. <laughs> no. Uh, but uh, that having been said, I would have been thoroughly charmed as I as I was watching, uh, watching it for this podcast podcast uh, of that great great spider puppet but uh no this was a total unknown to me now by spider puppet do you mean like large car that has been covered in spider float nonsense yes and uh, hey they do successfully put it on the roof of a house they do that's true and they they move it around there and they're clearly like shoving actors in there it's uh yeah it's uh, it's not the most active puppet but i'd still call it a puppet <laughs> Oh, boy. Uh, There's a lot of other spiders before we get to the real proper big spider, though. Well, charmingly, there's a there's a few cobwebs in a house, like old timey spider web slash cobweb looking things from from what appears to be like a much more ancient movie than this, with like little dollar store spiders in them. <laughs> uh, and it's so great! Oh god, when the giant spider's there, uh, you see uh, it's it's uh, well, what would essentially be pipe cleaner legs. I don't know how they made the legs, other than it's like I presume it's like that was an awful lot of felt used that day. Uh, just <laughs> Just ramming through the house set, which is again so much, so much a part of the charm of today's movie. <laughs> okay, so I'm watching this in the wrong spirit. I understand the spider stuff kind of didn't do too much for me. Oh. I have to admit, like I appreciated the silliness of the giant, giant spider, but like and the craft, the sheer craft of it. Sure, they did it, but I kept thinking about Squirm. And I feel like Squirm was so much more devoted to worms than this movie is devoted to spiders. Well, with, with I think that's because I, now I've seen Squirm, and I can say that this film has uh, what you might call a richer cast of characters. That is also true. That's the other thing, is that actually what I enjoyed about this film were some of the characters, and in particular, the uh, Doctor and NASA guy. Well, that's the, that's kind of the interesting thing, is that you so seldom see a movie where the two leads are middle-aged. And that was that was quite charming. I guess those are supposed to be the leads. I mean, they are listed first on the on the credits, so I guess that counts. Because and we those also are the have ones who are doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've also got the other sort of main family dynamic of the very drunk guy, his wife, and her sister, who he's I guess raising at this point. It's a little it's a little confusing, mm-hmm. but they also kind of play a big role in a lot of this, and they're disgusting and scuzzy people and and i kind of enjoyed some of that as well i don't know it was kind of fun in this in this weird way i mean i I didn't take it as like social commentary or anything but these were sort of miserable people living out their miserable lives and then getting eaten by spiders and that seemed all right as it should be as it should be isn't that how all human misery stories should end is that a giant spider puppet should come and just eat everybody (laughs) that reminds me of every story i wrote in grade school But I really liked Barbara Hale's performance as our lead scientist. I don't know. She could act. And she she had a great voice that sounded like she'd been smoking several packs a day for since childhood. It was just amazing to listen to her. Uh, That's that's something I had in my notes is that uh, vocally she had a great mother's friend vibe. Yes, yes, exactly. That was the mother's friend that I was always excited when they would come over and I get to hang out and hear stories from them. And I just sit there going, you're so cool. Can I be you someday? 
Yes, I, I don't think you get this voice uh, so much after the 80s, but still. <laughs> no. Oh, it's so good. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, she, she's absolutely fantastic and was the highlight of the film for me. Well, she's no spider puppet, but I mean, there is enjoyment to be had. I knew you'd like the spider puppet more. I knew it's, that full well when I saw it. It's just, it's, it's a testament to human ingenuity. Now, having said that, what did you think of this episode? Um, well, that's just it. It's like, I'm very excited about this spider puppet. And spider puppet is loads of fun. And the episode is not bad. And it's not great. It's it's kind of there. There's some good goofs in it. But, like, not a lot of stuff is all that memorable. I watched the entire episode, as one does. And then I immediately felt like it had just washed off me. Mm-hmm. And... Partially for the same reason, I guess, because, you know, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't no. great, and I just didn't remember much. So I watched it again, like, the next day, and I still, like, had a hard time sticking to it. And I, and I wonder, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was an episode that grew on me if I watched it a bunch. But it's not an episode that compels me to want to watch it a bunch, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I mean, because like I said, there's nothing, you know, there's, it's, there's nothing, there's nothing bad about it. I, I, I know there was some excitement about uh, this particular episode. And like, like I said, there's a few times that I laughed, uh, particularly the recurring reference to Menards. Yeah. Uh, that's, that, that got me. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's weird is that despite having some interesting things in it and and in fact what's weird is that despite um a total difference in mpaa rating this film reminded me the most of uh of the incredible melting man in how kind of it's it's kind of a a a dour unpleasant movie (laughs) that's true and uh it, it also ends with a big uh goopy a rainfall of gore, uh, albeit in this case spider gore, um, and it, it, they, they both have similar kind of pacing, and also like that weird kind of naturalistic non-acting that you get in a lot of '70s stuff, which is so strange contrasted to the '50s stuff, especially the '50s stuff that we were just getting, you know, week after week. If you were watching these uh, sci-fi episodes in order, yeah. Um, so it's so it's it's. It's different. It reminded me a lot of that movie. But uh, then again, it's like I remember uh, The Incredible Melting Man being like a laugh riot. And they they, they kind of gelled a bit better there. So I don't know. I don't know if, if a repeat – like I, I, I don't know. I, this this episode strikes me as like with repeat viewings, you'll find it's there. It's, 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 it's yeah, not I mean, bad. I mean, I don't know. That's part of it is that like I think about some of the like season three episodes that I watched a ton of because – that was all there was at the time, and I was, you know, obsessed with the show. And mm-hmm. so there may be some episodes in there that I would have this same reaction to now. And I think, oh, this is fine. It's nothing great as an episode, but it's fine. But I watched it a lot, and so I have a lot of nostalgic feelings for it now. I don't know. I mean, like, I didn't have that. I don't have that with any sci-fi episode. And so I, I, it just was an excuse for me to think about that a bit more, about how even watching it, you know, a few times for this show – doesn't build that kind of nostalgia that I might have for some some of the older ones. Yeah, yeah, and and although it's hard for me to imagine anyone getting really nostalgically excited for the episode on Mighty Jack, either the KTMA or season three version. Uh, Mr. Rabane, you really can't see anything. Marcus, shut up and keep shooting, Mr. NYU film pants. 
Bill Rabane is the director who gave us this thing. And boy, it feels like I've heard that name recently. Yeah, we uh, we covered Bill Rabane not that long ago. What with the Monster Agogo, which was given to us by the much more interesting Herschel Gordon Lewis. Yes, but which had been originally directed and then, I guess, abandoned for financial reasons by Rabane. Yes. Well, that explains this movie, which is occasionally incredibly dark and hard to see anything from, and which has <laughs> several scenes where you cannot hear what's going on, and especially those scenes involving telephones. Yeah, yeah. Um, and boy, it really, like, it's it's weird. It's like, I've seen Day for Night look reasonable, but I've never seen Day for Night look murkier than it does in this movie. Well, they joke about how they're shooting Night for Night, and I think they might have been. <laughs> so, so who is this person, and who let him keep making movies? Well, uh, Bill Bill Rabane, as we we discussed uh, last time, it's like Bill Rabane did set up his own little company in Wisconsin eventually. But uh, to begin, uh, he's uh, he's actually uh, not born in the the U.S. He was born in Riga, uh, the capital of Latvia, in 1937. Okay. And, uh, well, again, was there for uh, his early life, moving to the United States at the tender age of 17. We talked about how he got his teeth cut in the industry, but uh, there's a gap of 10 years between Monster Gogo and the giant spider invasion. Wahapa! I mean, he was a terrible filmmaker and no one gave him work. Well, that's just it. He had work. Oh, no. That's the shocking thing. He spent this time doing short movies. And so he would have like short films open up for other features, uh, f- short films with names like Dance Craze and The Love of Stella and All Fall Down. They, did they make him money? They, they were apparently successful enough to lead to, hey, let's make a big movie in Wisconsin. Let's make a giant spider invasion. Wait, was he making all these movies in Wisconsin? Yes. Um, okay, so he's chosen Wisconsin. Here's my question, or one of many questions. Maybe you have the answer, maybe you don't. How did he get all of these big-name celebrities like Alan Hale out to Wisconsin? I think that the promise of a steady paycheck <laughs> after Gilligan's Island uh, t- typecasting robbed him of future work outside of uh, appearing in convention centers, uh, that, that was probably enough. You know, t- things were much, much harsher for TV actors back then. You appear in one successful show and you can't appear in anything else. <laughs> Look at what happened to poor talented Adam West. Yeah, it was sad times. Yeah, so I think it was just that. I think it was just like, hey, they won't pay you in Hollywood, but why not come to mini Hollywood, a.k.a. Wisconsin? Oh, my God. Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's a giant Wisconsin film scene. Uh, who knows? There was definitely a giant spider Wisconsin film scene the year this was made. <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, the making of the movie was uh, uh, not so great. It was a little rocky uh, in all respects. Uh, Rabane uh, blames the special effects failures on the fact that the special effects crew was always drunk, according to Rabane. Right. <laughs> but there's always an excuse. I mean, again, it's Wisconsin. Based on his own movie, this is the only thing you can do in this godforsaken part of Wisconsin. So I know. That's one of the things that's kind of fascinating about this movie is just, like, what a hate letter it is to Wisconsin. Yes. <laughs> it's so bleak. I've never seen a hate letter like this from somebody who is living and continuing to live in the place. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I've never, I've never gotten the sense that uh, from other movies on this show that a filmmaker resents where they are yeah. more than this movie. <laughs> now, Giant Spider Invasion, according to my research, did really well. Yeah, it was one of the top 50 movies of, uh, of the year when it came out. It cost $325,000 to make and grossed $23 million. Which is, again, a hell of a return on the investment. Now, funnily enough, how much do you think that Rebane saw of that money? <laughs> All of it? None of it. What? How? Bad distribution deal. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. Uh, they, they apparently tried to, like, they did several audits and tried to get uh, lawyers involved, but that also proved to be too expensive and just plain gave up. So in addition to being a bad director, he's also a bad businessman. Yes. Even though he has towered himself on being a businessman for most of his life. Right. Of course. Well, okay. But he had a successful film. So that must have led to more successful films. So that led to other movies, yes. But were they successful? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've never heard of any of them. No, no. And, and man, I haven't heard of any of them. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying something. Uh, the only one that uh, I had ever heard of was his last film. He had made several obscure films. He'd even made uh, the requisite Bigfoot movie. Right. Uh, but uh, none of those have made made a huge impact. And finding any kind of information about them is pretty scanty there have been collections as of late of bill rubain's movies um usually saving films like monster agogo and the giant spider invasion for separate sets but you can get the rest of his work uh collected but the only film uh that really uh stood out uh, uh stood out because of its of its uh, stunt casting and that was uh he cast tiny tim in a slasher movie oh Yes, the movie Blood Harvest stars Tiny Tim as a killer clown. Wow, that maybe does ring a bell. Yeah, I I only I only heard of it. I remember reading about it in the Leonard Malton Film Guide and deciding no, not today. When I saw it on video store shelves, <laughs> uh, in which uh, it, it says like, yes, it is Tiny Tim in a horror movie, and it delivers just that. <laughs> Uh, and that was the sole thing said about it in the, I believe it's a bomb entry in the Leonard Malton Guide. Now, that wasn't his last film. That wasn't? I thought that was his last full-length movie. That was his last movie that wasn't released direct to video, oh. according, according to this website, Wikipedia, that I'm looking at right now. Uh, he had a movie after that called Twister's Revenge. Oh, okay. Okay. See, I thought I thought Twister's Revenge predated Blood Harvest because I because I assume that played theatrically. Uh, but yeah, that's more of an action comedy type movie. Yeah, it's about a, a talking monster truck that has its own mind. Yeah. See, you hear things like that, and you think, "Hey, this Bill Rubin guy can't be so bad." Well, if you could hear what the truck has to say, maybe it'll be all right. Yeah, it's uh, in terms of in terms of of his movies, he seems to highlight uh, Blood Harvest. Uh, he says it's a classic horror story. It's a bit unusual because of uh, because of Tiny Tim's character, uh, but he's marvelous in it. Absolutely marvelous. It's a big looking picture. I'm very proud of that one. So that's that's the winner apparently. Rent Blood Harvest with Tiny Tim. If you want to know more about Bill Rebane, um, he's apparently not that uh, not that fond of the horror movie moniker uh, applied to his movies. Sure. Okay. Whatever. Uh, but that seems to be the fact that he's uh, anti-violence and uh, does not like the idea that graphic horror would be coming out of Hollywood. 
Wait, what? Yeah, even though he has, like, guys being eaten by a spider. And then the spider dies the most gruesome death of all. This is nonsense. Yeah. Well, hey, you want to hear more nonsense? Uh, Rebane ran for governor of Wisconsin twice. Uh-huh. Yes. I found uh, an interview with him for his 70s run. Uh, my campaign platform is that I am a non-politician. Politicians are out of touch with reality. Unless he is a real statesman, it doesn't take a professional politician to represent people. And so that's always a good sign is to announce that you are not a politician for a political position. Mm-hmm. And then uh, next, do you know why the state is running a deficit? Neither do I. I think there there are very few people in the state uh, who understand the deficit. We need to know about these things. That should be a part of a politician's job. I mean... Again, he was running. Oh, God. All right, so he's gross, and he makes bad films. And even if they have spider puppets, they don't have enough of them. Let's talk about spiders. Hey, that's something that no one finds gross. <laughs> are you uh, are you grossed out by spiders? I, I, I am. Yeah, I like. I understand. I I get spiders' place in the universe. And listen, I've come to peace with centipedes, um, but I find spiders like a little harder to take. Like uh, the webs, the 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 bulbous bodies with the gangly legs, like the whole the whole thing, and they just seem to be layabouts. They're just sitting in their web, waiting for the food to come to them, unlike the stealthy centipede who hunts. Well, there are hunting spiders. There are hunting spiders, but most spiders are sitting in their webs, getting fat. I find in my house we've got a, a mix of both. Yeah. Um, I can deal with small enough spiders, but when they get large, I definitely do not care for them. And obviously the spiders in this movie got far too big for my needs. Um, but yeah, I mostly appreciate that spiders aren't interested in me most spiders anyways, and are more interested in eating other insects that might be lying around that I also don't want to have in the house. So yeah. I tend to let them be. I I, I, I don't know. I, I think we've all had a few too many experiences where you've like nearly walked into a spider web with a big fat spider in it and like you're going down to your basement and whatnot. It's happened to me more than once where I've nearly walked face first into a spider. Um makes me real, real glad that when I was growing up I had no idea what a brown recluse was. Well that's just it, right? Like I mean the spiders you walk into are bad enough, but then you hear about these absolutely terrible and monstrous spiders that, for the most part, live elsewhere. I guess there are some brown recluse spiders vaguely in this part of Ontario, but for the most part, the nastiest spiders, the ones that are most likely to destroy you, are are going are, live elsewhere, or the ones that are truly huge and terrifying. I... Um, in doing some research on spiders, uh, was quite put off by most of what I found, including some really nasty large spiders that, uh, as far as I was willing to expose myself to them, are common enough in Japan that I'm rethinking ever wanting to go there. Yes, I uh, I, I was also pretty put off by uh, Australian spiders that I would see. Oh, God. Infamously, they're, they're dangerous there. Yep. Uh, and you don't want to see, again, you don't want to see spiders that are really big. Um, they're they're very upsetting. Although I did end up looking up, uh, you know, it's like, well, this is the giant spider invasion. What's the world's giantest spider? Oh, what is the world's giant? Is it, is it bigger than a, oh, it must be bigger than a cat? Bigger than a... I mean, it's I bigger than a bread box. How do you measure a spider? Do you just measure the body or do you measure the leg span? I, I Well, you measure the leg span. Uh, the leg span get to nearly a foot. Damn, that's too big. 
Yeah, that is too big. Uh, is of course uh, your friend and mine, a, a spider with a great name uh, for a metal band, the Goliath Bird Eater. Oh, not to be confused with the sex move of the same name. What's a Goliath bird, and how does it eat it? Well, the Goliath Bird Eater typically does not eat birds, though it can. <laughs> okay, does it eat Goliath moths? It eats. Well, it, it, it eats insects and some smaller mammals. Yeah. Oh. Dang, where 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 does this friend live? Uh, South America, of course. And the fangs alone are an inch long. No, thank you. But but they they don't see very well, much like because it's a tarantula, and like most tarantulas, it's it's not it's not that great. It needs glasses. <laughs> I assume it uses some other sense to get around and find out where I am and try to climb into my mouth at night. <laughs> Although, luckily, luckily, uh, the, uh, the Goliath Bird Eater doesn't seem to really care about humans all that much. And, of course, its bite is not fatal, though from what I understand, is extremely unpleasant. <laughs> oh, oh, man. But not necrosis unpleasant, fortunately. Oh. <sighs> All right. I I have decided to take things in the other direction, mm-hmm. and I have looked up the smallest spider in the world. Is it the nice uh, peacock spider that does a little dance? It's not the dancing spider, though I do enjoy the video. It's a dancing spider. Yeah, they're great. They're very cute. Uh, so we actually don't know what the smallest species of spider is because they're small mm-hmm. and they hide. But the one that typically gets called the smallest one is the Patu Digua. Okay. Which uh, is from South America, though the ones that we found are in Colombia. Um, how small do you think it is? Uh, if it's if it's the world's smallest spider, I would say, God, um, would it be half an inch? Half an inch? Oh, it is smaller than half a millimeter. Yikes. It's real tiny, about 0.37 millimeters, roughly, as it says here on Wikipedia, one-fifth the size of the head of a pin. Incredibly difficult to see and photograph. Um, And we don't know a lot about them because they're they're so tiny. They're too small. They're just too small. See, that's that's a spider I can handle, is a spider that I am unaware of that can't harm me. It's time for the Shadow 13. 13 facts of increasing enormity about today's episode, The Giant Spider Invasion. Go, Chris, go! Despite the scuzziness of the film, there was at least room for wholesome romance on the set of The Giant Spider Invasion, as Barbara Hale and Bill Williams were husband and wife in real life. Hale played scientist Jenny Langer, and Williams played Dutch, the bar owner. Hale was best known for playing Perry Mason's secretary, Della Street, in the 50s TV series, a role for which she won an Emmy. Williams was best known for starring in The Adventures of Kit Carson, which sounds kind of boring, but he had a bit part on a few episodes of The Adam West Batman, so... And, though he's not in this movie, Hale and Williams had one son who went on into the acting business, William Catt. Yes, that's right, the same William Catt who played Carrie's prom date in the film Carrie... I'm sure that went well. And who then starred in, believe it or not, The Greatest American Hero. Now, Barbara Hale is not related to Alan Hale, who plays our small-town sheriff. Hale, of course, played the skipper in Gilligan's Island, and also appeared in misted movies The Crawling Hand and Angel's Revenge. Uh, have we mentioned yet that the skipper's real name is Jonas Grumby? It's a fun name. Robert Easton, who appears as the back brace sporting Kester, was a co-writer of the film. 
We'll talk more about his curious career when we cover one of his other misted movies as he appears in Season 9's The Touch of Satan, as well as providing voices for the Supermarionation series Stingray, episodes of which would be re-edited into Invaders of the Deep, the very first film rift in the KTMA era. But for now, we'll point out that Easton had a hard time writing the script. He was supposed to co-write the script with Richard Huff, but the two had creative differences. A Huff, you might say. And so, when it was time to film, there were only a few pages of script. Bill Rebane locked Easton in a cabin and refused to give him food if he didn't write ten pages a day. Meanwhile, Steve Brody, who appears here as Dr. Vance, is a familiar face to Misty's. He appeared as Jim Flanagan in The Wild, Wild World of Batwoman. His final film role was in Mike Jitlov's delightful The Wizard of Speed and Time, which we talked about in episode 31 on Wizards of the Lost Kingdom. The score for today's movie consists of stock music, not unlike George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead, though this is the only way these two films are comparable. Nonetheless, the music for the giant spider invasion did get released as part of the Blu-ray edition of the film. But I don't mean the score... No, instead, a 14-track album from a yet-to-be-realized The Giant Spider Invasion musical! Bill Rubain would later release a director's cut of the film. I haven't seen it, but those who have said that the film suffers from nonsensical new edits. Imagine that! A film by the director of Monster at Gogo not making sense. In addition to being riffed on MST3K, The Giant Spider Invasion was also mocked on Schleffatz, short for Die Schlechtesten Filme aller Zeiten, the worst films of all time, a German TV series devoted to the worst movies ever made. The Telefilm series would spoof the film in their eighth season, coincidentally enough. Tom mentions his massive underwear collection, which we first heard about and, in fact, got to see in MST3K the movie. That was the only time we've seen Servo's room so far. Maybe we'll get to go back in season 13. And finally, one last fun fact. There's a spider on your back, and that's time. So the host segments with their weird zucchini-like giant pods, that is straight out of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yes. But which version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Well, the pods are in all versions of Invasions of the Body Snatchers that I've seen. Okay. How many versions are there now? There's at least two. There's four that I know of. Four? Yes. That's a lot. You've got Invasion of the Body Snatchers. From the 50s by Don Siegel. Right. You've got the 70s Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh-huh. You've got uh, Abel Ferreira's 1990s Body Snatchers. And then you've got a film with Daniel Craig that's just called The Invasion. <laughs> so okay. you've got most of the title of The has yet to be released. <laughs> this sounds like a lot of versions of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, possibly more than we need. Um, have you seen all of them? Uh, well, like I said, I've seen the three. I've seen the first three. Oh, okay. Um, I had no interest in the invasion, uh, especially as it was reportedly constantly tampered with uh, to the point where the movie makes about as much sense as Monster Agoga. <laughs> How and why do you tamper with a film that's been made three times before? <laughs> You'd think it's a recipe for success. Well, it's at least a recipe for how to make a film. Yeah. So I decided to finally watch Invasion of the Body Snatchers for this episode. Oh, the original? The original, the 50s one, because I had a hunch 
and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I had a hunch that it would be the best. Oh, that's where you are wrong. (laughs) Ah, all right. Well, before we get to that, uh, it was really interesting to watch. Like, I I also figured that having watched the giant spider invasion, I was more in the mood for 50s sci-fi horror than more 70s sci-fi horror. Yeah, understandable. And I watched it, and uh, it was interesting. Um, it's solid. Uh, I didn't love it or anything, uh, but it was. it's a good movie. I can see why people are excited about it. We've talked before about the common reading about it being about communism or McCarthyism or whatnot, and I mean, I guess, but it doesn't seem nearly as strong as I expected it to be as a parable. <laughs> no, it's not. It's it's not there as much as people really say. <laughs> I'm not saying you can't do that reading. I'm just saying I, I expected it to be a lot more explicit. Yeah. But I imagine that by the time the 70s movie came along, that the discourse around that reading of the 50s edition had, had become really prominent. And so when they made the 70s version, are they a lot more explicit about making it into some sort of parable? No, because the 70s version takes a whole different tack, you know? Like, what's great and what works about the 1950s version is that it's about a threat coming under a tightly knit community. Right. And that community kind of like being turned on uh, turning on each other um in that there's distrust there initially and, and all that sort of stuff that works well for the 50s version and what it's trying to do with the 70s it's more about how it's like well there aren't really any communities anymore especially in larger cities and people don't really know each other <laughs> okay and so the pods can become more of a threat if there's if there's people that you don't truly know if there's people that you don't see every day well, then who's to say that the pod people can't take them over and do a pretty good job replicating them? So, so given that there is no longer any sort of community, or the, like, what do they, how do they deal with that? Like, how, how does our lead figure out that there's something going on? Well, uh, basically, it's, it, it, it comes down to everyone ignores the problem until it's too late. <laughs> Well, that kind of is what happens in the 50s movie, too, in a sense. Yeah. Everybody's out of town until it's too late. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although that's certainly like Aaron Home. Again, it's a, it's, a, it's a bleak 70s movie, and it feels, it feels right for it. Personally, I'd say it's the best of the Body Snatchers movies, and uh, I don't think that's, that's uh, that uncommon, I believe. Huh. Interesting. Um, well, then what about the 90s? Or 90s, you said, I think? What about the 90s version? Yeah, uh, I believe it's from 1993. It's directed by uh, Abel Ferrara, uh, who's best known for directing Bad Lieutenant, the original with, uh, uh, with um, oh man, I nearly said Stacy Keach, but that's not who I mean. Uh, with, uh, what's his face, from Taxi Driver, uh, who's not Robert Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel, who famously got his dong out in the movie. Oh, that's the dong out movie. I've heard about that. Yeah, that's that's why he's such a bad lieutenant. <laughs> that is definitely inappropriate workplace behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so the 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 '90s version uh, is scripted by Stuart Gordon and Dennis Paoli, who uh, wrote Robot Jocks, the predecessor to Robot Wars, which is going to be Rift in season thirteen. All right, um, but solid screenwriters, uh, and they came up with a neat thing that I think kills the movie dramatically. <laughs> Um, I don't think the 90s movie works, despite having some good visuals and nice moments here and there. Uh, but the idea is that the pods have set up shop in a military camp. Oh. 
And that's a brilliant idea for pods to take over and create these these uh, all-conforming people who are indistinct in a military camp. But there's also not a lot of tension to be mined from that when it's like everyone's in a military camp. I suppose so, yeah. Yeah, so it 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 doesn't quite work. It's got it's it's got the kernel of a good idea, but it it never really goes anywhere the way the other two do. Well, that's interesting, and nobody knows about the 2007 version. Yes, uh, from what I understand, it wasn't just me who didn't go to see it. <laughs> well, Adam, at some point during this episode, there's a certain riff that's made. Yes, as they are. Digging around in a field, I believe. And Mike says, They whacked the Crypt Keeper. And I thought, oh boy, I know what's happening this episode. Yes, it was guaranteed. As soon as those wonderful words, Crypt and Keeper, were uttered close together. As close as possible. Although, really, they don't have to be that close in order to justify this game. But yes, Back by popular demand it is a game which we like to call Crypt Keeper or not. <laughs> Crypt Keeper or not. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, I'll run through the rules once again uh, for uh, those who might be late to the game. The Crypt Keeper or not, uh, we take segments from HBO's Tales from the Crypt, Crypt Keeper segments, or indeed Crypt Keeper moments that may have occurred outside of the show, but are still tied to the HBO incarnation of the character. And we have real scenarios that occurred in the show or in pop culture, but... There is a fake one lurking about, written by me. So there's two real ones and one fake one. And I task Chris to find out, to sniff out which one is false. So I will say before we start that we did this a couple episodes ago at a time when there really wasn't any connection to Crypt Keeper. Nope. <laughs> and it didn't make the final episode, but we put it out as a bonus bit, and we made it free for anyone to listen to over on our Patreon. So if you want to hear that bit, and you didn't get a chance to, and you didn't see the tweet or whatever, go over to patreon.com slash it's just a show, or it's just a show.com slash Patreon, scroll down a little bit, and you should be able to listen to the last time we did a little Crypt Keeper or not. This time, however, it's a fresh new day. Anything is possible. Give me these scenarios. All right. Scenario the first. The Crypt Keeper rests on a shrink's couch, and he says, I just don't know if I have it in me. The puns and jokes. Do I not have more room to grow as a person, or am I really that old ghoul? I mean old school. And then the uh, the psychiatrist uh, clears his throat. Oh, is my time up? Show me the bill. The Crypt Keeper is then handed a uh, a sheet of paper, and the camera pans over to it, and it explicitly states that the fee is an arm and a leg. Uh... Now, the Crypt Keeper says, I guess I'm not more than the sum of my parts, and laughs. What? See, Doc? <laughs> yes. Can't, can't you just cut my arm and leg in the center, and we'll split the difference? No. Dichiatry is such a racket. Wow. Okay. That... All right. Okay. Okay. That was number one. Let's move on to number two. All right. And the second, we have a big sign that says Crypt Keeper Financial Services. Uh, the Crypt Keeper is handling some organs, and he's wearing a suit and tie. 
He says, greetings, infesters. I'll be with you in a moment. I was just putting these gross profits away for safekeeping. <laughs> we can help you get morgue for your money, whether it's mutual fiends you want or cold, horrid cash. We can help you corner the market. <laughs> um. All right. So typically I get a little suspicious because the ones that you make are in some ways too good. <laughs> and so that last one, that second one, was very good. And that first yeah. one was really bad. And <laughs> now I'm not sure. It was, I mean, it was so bad. How bad was it? It was so bad that I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine that you wrote it, but I also can't imagine that it was on the show. And I thought maybe, maybe you're trying to do some something sneaky. Maybe you're playing a sneaky sneak by intentionally making a bad <laughs> sketch for me to think no that's not adam's style he's usually quite good at these things anyway let's see what the third one is and lastly the crypt keeper is dressed as a wizard he has a crystal ball and a fake beard sure sure and he's pointing to an astrology chart with a stick he's he, he offers the following <clears throat> it looked like <laughs> it looks like neptune has moved from virgul to late capricorn which would mean you should avoid any serious romantic entanglements for a while. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now, Chris, which of these is the Crypt Keeper and which is not? All right, all right, all right. That third one, ooh, that's an interesting one because it was pretty good. There were some good puns. But also they were puns that were a little bit forced and specialist. I don't know. So I could see you doing that. You think, oh, I'm gonna do uh, I'm gonna do uh zodiac signs, yeah, astrological stuff, and we'll go from there. That that seems like something I could imagine you doing for this. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna say that that first one was so terrible it couldn't possibly be you. You wouldn't bring that to our show. You wouldn't <laughs> you wouldn't write that and spoil our experience like that. <laughs> Second one is fabulous. I'm very uh, kudos to you if that was yours, but I'm going to say that you wrote the third one. All right. Well, that's where you're wrong, and you could not be uh, you could not be more wrong. As there's a fun there's a fun story behind uh, this edition of Crypt Keeper or Not, which is that I forgot uh, to write the Crypt Keeper or Not until five minutes before we recorded. So I wrote the first one. Oh, oh right. That explains it then. <laughs> Sometimes you just lose track of time. I understand. <laughs> well, I'm sorry for I'm sorry for insulting your fine work, but I do it only because your standards. And and what you bring to the table is normally so much better than that. Uh, that's that's true. I, uh, I I I confess I lost a lot of time uh, going over old Cryptkeeper segments, and the the phrase "serious romantic entanglements" pretty much paralyzed me with laughter for a good ten minutes. It's real good. Yeah. All right, so that should just about cover. Everything we need to say about uh, the giant spider invasion, save for just one more thing. Chris, do you have a final factoid about the giant spider invasion or this episode to share with us? I do. There's a bit early on in the episode where, while looking at the alcoholic family and so forth, Mike starts singing a song, and it goes a little something like this. I love tick-infested hounds, slaughtering a deer, and beer. Now, when you heard that song, did you know what it was a reference to? No. 
Okay. Well, Mike is singing new lyrics to a song called I Love by Tom T. Hall, who was a country singer. And it's a very earnest little song. The actual lyrics start out, I love little baby ducks, old pickup trucks, slow-moving trains, and rain. And I love you too is the chorus, right? (laughs) It's very sweet. It's sickly sweet. It's very sincere. It's enduringly sincere. And just, it's, it's a lot. That is not the version of the song that I became familiar with, that that country version. I became familiar with it because it was covered by one of my favorite bands on their second, less well-known album. It was covered by the Shags. Oh, great. On their second album, Shags' Own Thing, which contains a few original songs, a few remakes of songs from their first album, and a few covers like this one. Do you you know the Shags, I, I trust? Of course. They gave me my pal Foot Foot. They sure did. Um, have you heard their their full album, Philosophy of the World, the, the famous album from 1969? Yeah, ages ago, but yes. What does it sound like? Uh, it basically sounds like, well, many bands like to do jams. But what if all of the uh, all the people who are playing recorded separately and then mixed those jams together and that was the album? <laughs> it's astonishing. It is a, a, a three sisters. It's actually kind of a sad story because uh, their father was not great, but it's three sisters who were sort of given musical instruments. Their father wanted to make them into a band. They wanted to make them very 60s. He rushed them into the studio to record the album while they were hot. Some would say, while they were still learning how to play their instruments, (laughs) pressed a bunch of copies of the album, and then, of course, nobody cared. They were from a small town in New Hampshire. Uh, Nothing happened of this until uh, somebody found a copy of this. Some guy from the band NRBQ found it and then had it re-released, and Dr. Pimento got involved, and, you know, he'll make anything popular that's wild and wacky. And... Uh, that led to them doing a follow-up album uh, that was released in 1988 called Shag's Own Thing. Uh, now, it's from a 1975 recording session. It happened you know, quite a while later. Their father had died, which is why it took so long for it to come out. And also, nobody cared <laughs> at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really love Shag's Own Thing, although it's not quite as wild and woolly as the first album, which sounds like nothing else. I mean, it's it's absolutely amazing philosophy of the world. It, if, if you give it to somebody who's never heard of the Shags, and it's somebody who like does music, who performs music or, or whatnot, it will just break their brain because <laughs> all three instruments and the vocals are doing completely different things. The drummer seems to be just off in their own head space. Of the, the two girls who do some of the singing, they picked the one with the worst voice to be the lead singer. And they're trying to do these like early 60s style songs, but they kind of don't know at all what they're doing. But at the same time, in Shag's own thing, you get to hear like other versions of them or live versions of them in one case. And uh, they eventually released a, a one CD collection of everything the Shags had recorded. And it includes some demo versions, so to speak, or some rehearsal versions. And it kind of sounds exactly the same. Like they're, they're kind of on purpose, or let's just say they're reproducible in a way that you don't expect the most atrocious musicians to be. Huh. But Shag's own thing is a lot smoother and goes down easily comparatively. They do a sort of soft cover of My Pal Foot Foot. They do a really sweet version of Yesterday Once More by The Carpenters. And they do this version of the song I Love, which is incredibly sweet because there is no guile in the Shag's voices. They are pure and earnest sounding all the time. And they can take 
the most treacly material and make it sound true. And that's hmm. really hard to do. Dang. So I totally recommend giving that a spin at some point if you've never listened to it. It's It's got a lot of delights. Now I'll know what to enter into Spotify and hopefully find it. <laughs> if you've been affected by the issues on this show, if you're a fan of the giant spider invasion, the musical, or if you'd like to ask us anything, get in touch with us. Our website is itsjustashow.com, and we're on Twitter at itisjustashow. We'd love to hear from you. This show is made possible by listeners like you. For as little as $1 per episode, you can help us research and record this show, and you can listen to all our super fan bonus bits. Find out more at itsjustashow.com slash Patreon, or patreon.com slash itsjustashow. And if you want to follow up on anything that was mentioned today, you'll find links in our show notes at itsjustashow.com slash episode slash 94. Oh, 94, we are really getting close to 100. What? No, that's hours away. Yes, and uh, as far as the listeners are concerned, that is hours away. It's months and months and months away. We'll never, we'll never get there. Not the right word, Colin. Uh, well, before we get to episode 100, we have to do episode 95. What are we going to do next? We are going to jump into not quite the uh, the present day, but what was once the uh, one of the newest episodes of MST3K, when we have ourselves a little avalanche. Ooh, season 11, episode 4, avalanche. We're going back to the Jonah era. Mm-hmm. In celebration of the Kickstarter making its goal, we might as well take a little look at what happened last time. Joel was given a lot of money. Yeah, they've gone from an avalanche of money to, well, I guess another avalanche of money in terms of MST3K. <laughs> and we're sticking in the 70s. And we're back with Roger Corman, baby. Woo! Guaranteed quality. And Rock Hudson, baby. <laughs> if, which everybody wants. Yeah, I mean, you could do worse. Yeah. Uh, could you? <laughs> yes, you could definitely do worse than Rock Hudson. Yes. <laughs> Um, great. I'm looking forward to watching this one again. I remember it being pretty interesting the first time I watched it. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to uh, go for it. I know I've I've seen this one uh at least once when I was going through the the season, possibly twice, and uh yeah, I look forward to revisiting it. All right. Well, until then, please build more spider puppets. The world is in need. Hey, it's in color. Take it away, theme squad. too big.